How's everybody? Open your Bibles to 2 Samuel chapter 5. We're going to, I'm just going to preach this morning. (laughs) 2 Samuel chapter 5, verse 17. 2 Samuel 5, 17. It says, Now, when the Philistines heard... That they had anointed David king over Israel. All the Philistines went up to search for David. And David heard of it and went down to the stronghold. The Philistines also went and deployed themselves in the valley of Rephaim. So David inquired of the Lord saying, shall I go up against the Philistines? Will you deliver them into my hand? I lost my place. I looked up, and when I looked back down, it was gone. Verse 19. So David inquired of the Lord, saying, Shall I go up against the Philistines? Will you deliver them into my hand? And the Lord said to David, Go, for I will doubtless deliver the Philistines into your hand. So David went to Baal-perazim, and David defeated them there. And he said, The Lord has broken through my enemies before me like a breakthrough of water. Therefore he called the name of the place Baal-perazim. And they left their images there, and David and his men carried them away. So, I'm I'm shifting gears a little bit from where I've been. Um, But I want to talk about... Let's see, how do I want to start this? Let's do it this way. So, we know, right, that... The Bible speaks of, the earliest creeds in the church speak of God as being the creator of all things, visible and invisible, right? And the whole idea of any kind of spirituality is, contains this idea that the physical, natural world is not all there is. And yet, as human beings, while we are on this earth, the majority of our life, I mean, you can't get away from this physical, natural world. It's impossible to be spiritual in the sense of some form of mental or emotional or spiritual escapism. Right? We know this. So, for us right now, the physical plane is where it's, happening. Some of you know my friend Michael Davis from uh, California, and uh, I was listening to a teaching that he did. He tagged me on Facebook on a teaching that he did on Malchut Hashamayim, which means the kingdom of the heavens. It's plural in the Hebrew, but we translate it singular, the kingdom of heaven. And I don't know if you've ever noticed this, but when you're reading in the Gospels, there are times when the gospel writers talk about the kingdom of God. When Jesus is speaking, he talks about the kingdom of God. And there are times when he talks about the kingdom of heaven. And there have been all kinds of opinions and speculations about what's the difference between the kingdom of God and the kingdom of heaven. And there's all kinds of fancy interpretations with that. And I've never really found any of them to be satisfactory. The, the predominant explanation is this, because you find the term the kingdom of heaven used mostly by Matthew. Uh, I don't think you find it used at all by Luke. 
And so you have to look at their different audiences. So Matthew is writing to the uh, Jewish people primarily, and they were very hung up on the Tetragrammaton, which is the, the name of God and taking the name of the Lord in vain. And so they decided the best way, you know, the Jews had decided previously the best way to not take the name of the Lord in vain was to just don't say it at all. So they came up with all kinds of, um, I, I forget the term right now, but they came up with all kinds of other ways to refer to it without referring to using the name of God. So today you'll hear Jewish people talk about Hashem. And when they're speaking of God, they'll call him Hashem. And Hashem means the name. In the, in the first century, they would refer to him sometimes as the place. And what they meant by the place was, that, theologically what they would say is that all things are contained in God and nothing contains him. So therefore, he is the place in whom we live and move and have our being. So they had all these different ways of referring to God. And so the predominant explanation has always been that Matthew is using the term kingdom of heaven synonymously with the term the kingdom of God. He's just referencing it as the kingdom of heaven to avoid using the tetragrammaton or the name of God. And Make sense? So he's referring to heaven, so the kingdom of heaven. But the truth is that Matthew does also use the term the kingdom of God. <laughs> So I'm not sure that explanation holds up. And so I was listening to my friend Mike, and it made so much sense to me. He said the reason they're using the term the kingdom of heaven, and he's, you know, very well studied and can back up what he's... He doesn't make a statement that he can't back up with ten different reasons. But this makes the most sense to me of anything I've ever heard. They're referencing it as the kingdom of heaven because the kingdom of heaven is a place where the rule of God is done without opposition, without resistance. Right? So think about the Lord's Prayer. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. So that means it's not being done on earth as it is in heaven. And so Matthew and the gospel writers and Jesus use the term the kingdom of heaven to demonstrate that there is there is not this synchronicity right now between heaven and earth. That there is conflict, that there is opposition, that, that, that the earth is in chaos or it's out of order. Something went terribly wrong somewhere. Does it make sense to you? It made a lot of sense to me. So, but, but the heavens, the, again in the Hebrew it's malchut, which is kingdom, hashamayim, which is heavens, plural. So please understand that the earth is not just referencing this planet, it's referencing physical reality. So in, in our cosmology, because of what we know today, that would include Jupiter and Mars and Sirius and anything that's physical, on the physical plane. And the heavens represents that which is on the invisible, in the invisible realms, right? And what God is really looking for is a company of people that can bring some harmony, some synchronicity, and some alignment, or on earth as it is in heaven. So the power, I want you to hear this statement very closely, because this is a very important, fundamental statement about reality the power to operate on the physical plane requires a physical body i'm going to say that again it's very (laughs) but the power 
to operate and the right and the authority to operate in the physical plane requires a physical body or assistance from someone who has a physical body. Now, God is spirit. Spirit, can, and, and God contains matter, but God is not material. God is spirit. Angels are spirits. And here's what this, here's what this means. They are consciousness and they are energy, but they do not have physical bodies. Right? Now, there are very real, very real, dark, malevolent, and demonic spirits. Right? But they don't have bodies either. They are consciousness. They are individual. They are personalities. They have intelligence they have will and they're very real yes but they don't have bodies which is why throughout history is very well documented case studies of demonic possession why does a demon want to take possession of a person because it's through a body that access is granted upon the physical plane Right? So the question becomes, so, so humanity is important because right now, at least as far as we know on this planet, right? Right now, we are that bridge between the physical and the spiritual dimensions. And the way that spiritual powers travel if you will, I don't necessarily like how I'm saying this, but I'm doing the best I can to explain what's in my head. The way the spiritual powers travel is through thought and consciousness. Now, here's our problem. In the Western world, we believe that our consciousness is contained inside our skull. You know, they cannot, I mean, I I have read some of the smartest neuroscientists in the world who have written because one of my fields of study is psychology as well as theology. And they cannot find consciousness. They cannot find thought. What they can measure is the electronic, the electrical, sorry, not electronic, the electrical responses firing in the brain. But all of them will say that is not consciousness. And that is not thought. That is the physical stamp or okay so think about it this way the wind is blows and you see the tree or the flag you put a flag up right and you see the flag flapping so you know the wind is blowing if you're not outside and you're looking you know the wind is blowing or you know what direction the wind is blowing right because of the flag but the flag is not the wind so the electrical impulses and responses and things that go on inside your brain is not thought. It is not consciousness. It is like the flag responding to the wind of your thought and your consciousness. Now, here's what that means. 
Your thinking, feeling, being is not contained inside your body exclusively. Your thinking, feeling, being uses your body to express itself in the physical dimension, but it is not contained or isolated within that. So that there are places of collective... Again, I'm not sure I like how I'm saying this, but I'm not afraid to use words. There are places of collective consciousness. How else could Paul tell the church in different letters, be of the same mind? How can they be of the same mind if there's not connection? He says, we have the mind of Christ. How can we have the mind of Christ if his mind is contained in his physical body and our mind is contained in our physical body and there's no interplay? Are you tracking with me? So here's where this becomes important. There is in your your brain, your your consciousness is not an automatically protected place. It's not automatically hedged and guarded, which means that not everything you're thinking is you. And not everything that's influencing your thinking is you. And that's our mistake. Because we identify with all that stuff. And the greater the intensity of the stuff, the greater we are tempted or the more temptation there is to identify with it. Are you tracking with me? Are you following this? Because our problem is we think that the devil is just out doing all kinds of stuff in the physical dimensions to mess with us. But, or these powers of darkness, however you want to look at them, these demonic entities, that they're just out there, you know, causing storms or causing our car to break down or causing sickness and disease to come into our body as though they were corporal beings with physical bodies who could be active in the physical dimensions. Now, am I saying they can't cause that stuff? I am. They can, but they need a witch or a sorcerer or some body, some body giving them life and power in the physical dimensions. Otherwise, in these cultures, you wouldn't have to go to a sorcerer to curse your enemies. And if people and people who are trained in the dark arts, you know what they're trained in? How to create thought forms. How to concentrate in their imagination and in their mind and with their will and project that towards an outcome in the physical realm. The devil can't just take them and use them. They have to be trained. And some of them trained for years in the dark arts. Some of them trained for generations in the dark arts. Because they understand to manipulate things in the physical dimension, they have to become a bridge between whatever powers they are accessing and this physical dimension. 
So there are people who are dominated by the forces of darkness and tap into the powers of darkness in order to cause events to take place in the physical realm and in the physical dimension, but they don't happen, those things don't happen without human assistance. That's how important humanity is. There's an exchange or a cooperation that's taking place. Are you tracking with me? Now, God is in the same position, if you will. And that's what makes Christ and the Incarnation so important because you have God and man. You have the spiritual and the physical. He, he is the meeting point, the center point of the physical and the spiritual dimensions. Right? Now, what does all this have to do with David? <laughs> but I, I still got to drive this point home because I want you to get it. Your problem with the devil is primarily mentally, emotionally, and spiritually, not what's going on in your physical world. And if you don't rec- and if we don't recognize that, we won't be able to separate ourselves from the. For- we won't recognize an attack from the powers of darkness when it comes. Jesus gets baptized in the Spirit, right? Baptized in Jordan. He gets baptized in the Spirit. What's the very next thing that happens? He's driven by the Spirit in the wilderness. And the devil comes to do what? To tempt him. Now, we, we, we don't understand some of this language because the word tempt there, it can mean to be, you know, seduced into doing something bad. But that's really not the issue. It, the word means to be tested or to be tried or to be put under fire. And how did the devil come to tempt him? The Bible says he didn't eat for 40 days. And how did the devil come to tempt him? Did he come and bring him something? What did he do? He injected a thought. The devil said to him. And here's the thing. You know, it used to drive me nuts. It drove me nuts from the first time I read the Bible practically. That people would say, Jesus, like I heard this preach. Jesus was so high above our humanity that in order for him to be tempted by the devil, he had to be hungry. So therefore he had to starve himself for 40 days and 40 nights so that he could be tempted by the stones. And I thought, who, when they're hungry, whether it's for 40 days or 40 hours or 40 minutes, looks at a rock and thinks, wow, that looks yummy. If he was going to tempt him in the physical dimension because of his hunger, he would have brought him, I don't know, devil's food. Cake. (laughs) See what I'm saying? What he said was, if you are the Son of God. Now watch this. When Jesus gets baptized in the Jordan, the heavens open up, the Spirit descends upon him, and he hears the God say what? This is my beloved Son in whom I'm well pleased. And we know from the Gospel of John that Jesus had not done any miracles until He changed the water into wine, changed water into wine at the wedding at Cana. So He had no physical evidence of who He was and what He could accomplish. So He goes in the wilderness and the devil comes to Him and says, If you are the Son of God. See it? It's a battle of thought. If you are the Son of God, change these stones into bread. Because see, the devil couldn't do it without somebody doing it for him. Then he could have tempted him to eat. The devil took him to the temple 
And to cast yourself down from here. But yet scripture is very clear. He's being tempted in the wilderness. I mean, don't you think somebody in Jerusalem would have seen him up high up there and said, whoa, how do you get up there? Because he's not battling. He's not battling a physical thing. He's battling delusions. He's battling hallucinations. He's battling lies. He's battling voices. He's battling imaginations. You see it? And when he wades through all that stuff, Luke, Luke says he went into the wilderness full of the Spirit. But then it says after he had overcome temptation, <clears throat> by combating it with thought, it is written, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. Do you see how he's sorting through his own internal world? It's an inward battle that he's going through. Don't believe me? Okay, let's use this parable, the parable of the sower. This is the mystery, the secret of the kingdom of God. A sower went out to sow. Some seed fell by the wayside and the birds of the air came and ate it up, right? Right? The soil, then Jesus interprets it. He says, the seed is the word of God, which is a thought. It has to do with consciousness. The seed is the word of God and some fell by the wayside, right? And the devil comes to take away the word that was sown in there heart so if the devil comes to take away the word that's sown in the heart where does he go to get it how can he gobble it up if he doesn't have access to the heart so jesus has the word sown you are my beloved son in whom i am well pleased and he goes out to the wilderness to be tempted by the devil and the devil comes and says if you are the son of god God tells Adam and Eve, don't eat at the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And the serpent says, has God indeed said? See, the enemy's weaponry is words. The enemy's weaponry is thoughts. The enemy's weaponry is imaginations. And the enemy's weaponry is in your heart manipulating your emotions. Paul's thorn in the flesh was not an eye disease. It was not people that were coming after him and causing problems. He tells you, I mean, all this fuss in when, when people were talking about healing and God's will to heal. Well, what about Paul's thorn in the flesh? He tells you exactly what it was. He says, because of the amount of revelation given to me, there was given to me a thorn in the flesh. What? A messenger of Satan. Because all he can do is send messages. He needs you to pick up on them. He needs you to believe them. And He needs you to become overwhelmed by them before His will can be done on earth as it is in hell. So that you and I constantly are incubating heaven or hell in our minds, in our thoughts, and in our hearts. But here's the thing. What we don't realize is there are demonic, dark, and evil forces that will come and oppress you when you are trying to make progress. When you are trying to move forward. Please understand this story that we just read about David happens after a very significant event in the history of Israel. God tells Israel, go into the promised land and drive out all the inhabitants, all the Hittites, all the Canaanites, all the Jebusites. And the problem is, is that Joshua does not do that. He leaves places unoccupied. He leaves territory unoccupied. Right? 
All through the judges, Samson, they got that movie out now, uh, uh, Deborah, Gideon, pick whoever you want to pick. They never got all the inhabitants out of the land. David, up to this point, had never gotten all of the inhabitants. Saul never got all the inhabitants out of the land until he takes the Jebusites out in Jerusalem. And so he takes the Jebusites out in Jerusalem and he becomes king over all the land. It was the greatest victory in the life of David and it was the greatest victory in all the history of Israel. It was conquest. He had made it. He had arrived. And it says as soon as the Philistines heard that David had been anointed king, that David had been anointed king, they set out to find him. All of the Philistines set out to find him. There's an interplay going on in the story that we miss. Watch this. The Bible says they arrayed themselves, the Philistines, arrayed themselves against David in the valley of Rephaim. The word Rephaim means giants. But it says David went to Baal-perazim to fight. So here's the question. Did the, did the battle happen... In Raphium, or did it happen at Belperazim? And the answer is yes. Because Baal, it's the same place. Baal-perazim is Baal, it's not a, it's not always, Baal is not always a proper name for a demonic god, just like Satan in the Bible is not always a proper name for a malevolent being. It just means adversary. There are places where God is a Satan. Because he's an adversary. Great. Now I'm going to get in trouble for that. I'm just, it's language. You understand? So Baal, it has nothing to do with God. It, it means to have mastery. That's what the word Baal means. It means to have mastery. And perazim means to break through. So they go to the same place. Here's the problem. The Philistines who represent these forces of darkness, they want to turn it into a valley of giants. They're sitting there saying, no, this is the place of the giants. This is the valley of Rephaim. And David has a choice. He can go down to the valley of Rephaim and fight the Philistines on their terms, or he can call it something else. So when David goes, he doesn't go to the valley of Rephaim. He goes to the place where there's mastery over breakthroughs. He looks at the same territory. He looks at the same situation. He looks at the same giants. And he says, this is not a valley of my demise. This is not a valley where the giants are going to take me out. This is the place where I'm about to... To gain the next level of mastery. And so this is the place of breakthrough. And what I'm going to master is the ability to break through. And you don't have to break through if there's no opposition. You don't have to break through if everything's going fine and dandy. You don't have to break through if there are not opponents. You do not have to break through if there are not adversaries. You cannot be more than a conqueror if there is not something to conquer. You cannot be a victor if there is not something that there is to win. You... I'd be like Dr. O. I wish I had a church in here. You cannot be an overcomer if there is nothing to overcome. So you cannot think that you will make progress, that you will move forward and not be challenged. You cannot think that you will be able to manifest your purpose and your destiny and, and somehow be, be involved in, in, in this tension between heaven and earth and becoming a, a vehicle, uh, an expression as a son and a daughter of God, a vehicle through which uh, uh, 
miracles can happen through which prayers can be answered, through which the situations can be changed and transformed. And if ever there was a time in the earth when there was a need for a company of people who were true light workers, who really knew how to work in the light, who really knew how to work in the love of God, who really knew how to manifest purpose and destiny and, and transform, and really knew how to bring healing, and really knew how to bring situations into a place of peace, and into a place of joy, and into a place of glory, If ever there was a time, if ever there was opposition, if ever the... But it takes a company of people who are willing to go to the valley of giants and not be overwhelmed by the giants, but say, this is the place of breakthrough, and I'm the one who can master it. For years, for years when I preached this message, because I preached this message for years, for years when I preached it, I always thought, <clears throat> this is how I would do it, that Baal Perazim was a reference to Jesus or to the Lord, that he's the, he's the master of the breakthrough. And it preaches great, you know. Just stick with Jesus and you're going to get your breakthrough. If you go down into the valley of the giants, Jesus, who is the master of the breakthrough, he goes with you. Preach is good, doesn't it? Right? Problem is, if you read the same story in 1 Chronicles 14, it's a different account of the same story. David explains it differently than that. I always hate when the Bible comes into conflict with my preaching. Look at verse 10. And David inquired of the Lord, saying, Shall I go up against the Philistines? Will you deliver them into my hand? And the Lord said to him, Go up, for I will deliver them into your hand. So they went up to Baal Perazim, master of the breakthrough. Watch the language. The Philistines went down to the valley of Raphim. David goes up. He ascends to the place of breakthrough. Here's what that means. That means that when you're under a demonic attack, when you are being tormented by the powers of darkness, please understand it's not about what they're doing in the physical dimension. It's about what they're injecting. It's about the poisons that they're injecting in your mind, in your heart, and in your spirit. The lies that you are believing and buying into. And they want you to think that you've had it. They want you to think you can't make it. They want you to feel hopeless and powerless. They want to bring you down into the valley of the giants and true ascension is not about just having a great experience in some place called heaven true ascension is the ability to transcend your feelings when you're feeling depressed it's the ability to transcend your hatred when you're feeling hatred it's the ability to transcend your anxiety and your fear when you're feeling anxious and fearful because of the forces that have been arrayed against you it's the ability to step outside of yourself and ascend into a higher place and say no, I determine what this season in my life is going to be. This is not going to be my valley of defeat. This is going to be the place of my breakthrough. So David goes up and calls it something else. Right. 
So when they went up to Belberazim and David defeated them there, then David said, God has broken through my enemies by my hand like a breakthrough of water. He was not saying Jesus is the master of the breakthrough and He'll be with you in the valley. What He's saying is is that He will... Paul said, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens and empowers me. So here's how it works. From this place called heaven comes an infusion of the anointing. Comes an infusion of the mind of God. Comes an infusion of the joy and the love and the faith and the power and the victory that causes you and me to ascend above of what we are facing, what we are feeling, what we are thinking, what we are imagining, and what we are dealing with until we come to a place of mastery where we can, in the spite of the worst situations, we can say, no, I'm speaking a word of faith. I'm speaking a word of victory. I'm calling things that be not as though they were. And God is going to respond to my voice because I am His gateway of access into the earth. I am His entry point and His central point that can bring the manifestation of the glory of God. That's why all of creation is waiting for the manifestation of the sons of God because creation will be liberated into the freedom and glory that the sons of God already possess. So we have to stop being wimpy. We have to stop laying down in our problems. We have to stop letting the devil seed our hearts with thoughts of defeat and thoughts of anger and thoughts of hatred and thoughts of disease and thoughts of death and thoughts of failure and thoughts of you don't matter and you're not worthy and you're bad and you should be ashamed and look what you did and you're a horrible person and you're causing all this stuff. Whatever you're living with, whatever you're dealing with, You don't have to believe everything that flows through your brain. And you need to stand up, my brothers and sisters. And you need to begin to challenge the powers of darkness that have been arrayed against you. I'm going to tell you right now, you can't come to a place like this and hear the things that we hear and get the revelation that God's releasing in this place that you will not be challenged by the powers of darkness. That you will not be challenged in your thinking and in your feeling and in your hearts. That there will not be chaotic times. Because we end up responding to situations not as they are. We respond to situations the way we think and feel about them. So oftentimes, if Jesus had thrown himself off the temple, he's not responding to reality because he's in the wilderness. It's a battle for truth. What is the truth? And the truth isn't always how it appears. In fact, it's seldom how it appears. So, simple. Whose report are you going to believe? David had to make a choice. If David hadn't stood up, if he hadn't gone up to Belperazim, Here's the other part that's so powerful. When he defeated the Philistines, here's what the Bible tells us. The Bible doesn't say, and there was bodies strewn everywhere. The Bible doesn't say he did like he did with, uh, who's the guy? Goliath. Cut their heads off and march it through the land. 
The Bible says one thing about what got left there by the Philistines. It says they left their images there. And David took them and burned them. If you're waiting for the image to change before you feel better, you're going to lose. But if you and I can transcend, if we can ascend, and sometimes you have to close your eyes and you have to go against everything you're feeling and battling inside of you and say, I feel like hell right now. I feel anxious right now. I feel afraid right now. I feel angry right now. I feel hateful right now. I feel depressed right now. But see, we can't do Because we over-identify as Christians, it's hard for us to do that. I'm not angry. God said I'm supposed to love. Oh, but I have this horrible, angry thought in my heart. Do you understand Jesus was tempted with devil worship? The devil showed him all the kingdoms in a moment in time. And said, if you'll just bow down to me, I'll give these to you. Don't think you can't be seduced by spiritual power, just like you can be seduced by greed or sex or whatever else we think when we think of the term seduction. Jesus was tempted to worship the devil. So if you think the image is going to change before you change the image, keep keep going to therapy. Keep crying on everybody's shoulder. Find somebody else you can talk to that will agree with you about how bad it is. Whatever. Find somebody else to pray with you to get you to agree with you that your situation sucks. David David had to ascend first. He had to go up to the place called Baal Perizim. And it was there that God broke through and he defeated the powers of darkness. He defeated his enemies by his hand. Not waiting for God to do it. Not, oh God, would you please answer my prayer? Oh God, would you just change the circumstances? Ain't ever going to happen. God does not do that. God breaks through by your hand or he doesn't break through. I'll say that again. God breaks through by your hand or he doesn't break through in your life. And that means you have to ascend with him and say, I'm calling this something else. I'm calling this healing. I'm calling this deliverance. And at first it doesn't feel like it because the images are still there. But if you stay in that place of ascension, if you stay in that place of transcendence, if you have a divine stubbornness inside you that just refuses to give up and quit, eventually you break through and the powers of darkness have to drop their images. And you can take those images and you can put them in the fire of your own divine consciousness and destroy them so that you don't have to battle with them anymore in that season. Because even with Jesus, the Bible says the devil left him for a more opportune time.
As long as we're here in this earth, as long as there is a kingdom of heaven and there is tension with the earth, as long as there are malevolent forces, and as long as you're determined to keep making progress in your growth, in your purpose, in your destiny, in your spiritual walk, in your prayer life, there will always come seasons of intense fire and intense conflict and intense darkness. But even if I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for thou art with me. Thy rod and thy staff, they comfort me. Thou preparest a table before me in the presence of my enemies. Thou anointest my head with oil, and my cup runneth over, and surely goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. See, what I want to know is, does your ideas about who God is, your ideas about good and evil, your ideas about who you are, philosophizing, thinking, sorting through what you believe and what you don't believe, comes down to one thing. Does it work when the pressure's on? Does it work in the squeeze? Because if it doesn't work in the squeeze, it's just fluff. Amen? Let's stand up. How many have been going through something? <laughs> How many can relate to this message today? Let me just see your... Almost everybody in here. Right, lift your hands up. See, it, it, thought about how do I close this. And in the old days, we would have a service and we'd bring the worship team up and we'd lay hands on you and people would fall over and shake and speak in tongues and all that stuff's fun and exciting. But it's got to be by your hand, not by the hand of someone laid on you. It, it's got to be the elevation of your own consciousness. That's what God's doing make sense and you get to choose you always have a free will you can choose to see it as the valley of giants or you can choose to see it as the place of your breakthrough it's up to you it's up to me so i'm just going to pray for you but i want you to pray for yourself and here's how we're going to do it we're not going to pray oh god change my situation oh god heal me oh god provide for me no <laughs> we're going to say oh god let me receive an infusion of your mind. Let me receive an infusion of your energy. Let me receive an infusion of your anointing that will break the yoke of oppression off of my mind and off of my heart. And so, Father, in the name of Jesus right now, I thank you for every person in the sound of my voice. I thank you for a transformative experience right now. I thank you for a transformative anointing. I need to get some oil. Stay with me. I thank you for a transformative anointing. I thank you for an empowerment from heaven. And God, I'm asking for light to invade. Vic, I'm just really drawn to you, brother. I'm going to anoint you and just speak over you. 
Father, I thank you for this man. And Lord, I declare right now in the name of Jesus that today is the day of Baal Perizim. That today is the day of breakthroughs. That today is the day that the chains upon your mind and your heart dissolve away as the power of the light of Christ flows into every aspect of your spiritual being. That the power of God right now, Father, I'm asking in Jesus' name for the power of God, for the anointing of the Holy Spirit, for the energy of your holiness and your goodness and your truth and your love and your life would invade my brother's mind and heart in a way that is completely transformative and that he would experience today. And Father, I declare over you today, by the word of the Lord, I declare over you today an elevation in the spirit. I declare over you today a transcending. I declare over you today an arising. I declare over you today that truly, as Isaiah said, that they that wait upon the Lord will mount up with wings like eagles. They will run and not be weary. They will walk and not faint. And so the days of fainting are over and the days of ascending and the days of rising on the wind of the Spirit and the current of the love and the power and the wisdom and the anointing and the jealousy that God has for you. His jealous love for you to bring you into a place of abundance, to bring you into a place of life and light that is above and beyond what you have known previously. I declare today there is a turning of your captivity. I declare today there is a breaking of every place of bondage. And I declare today a restoration over your life that comes in a greater quantity and a greater quality so that everything that was stolen from you and everything that your heart desires to have returned and more be accomplished by the strength of your own hand, O mighty man of God. Father, I seal this, the energy of it, the blessing of it, and the power of it in Jesus' name. Amen. How about okay? <laughs> Bless you. <laughs> All right, we're done. <laughs> Sorry, I forgot about the rest of you even being here. <laughs> Let's lift our hands. <laughs> lift our hands. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Lord. Father, we bless you. Father, we bless you. Father, we bless you. Thank you for transformation. Thank you for a turning of captivities. Thank you for a day of victory. Thank you for a day of transformation. Thank you for a day of elevation. Thank you for a day of ascension. Just declare your peace, your love, and your joy invading every life, every home, every heart, every mind. In Jesus' name. And if you believe that, just say amen.